0: We're live now on the Conversations That Matter podcast. Uh, Some people are telling me in the chat, I haven't even said a word yet. And uh, people are saying that YouTube is already, (laughs) for those streaming on YouTube, flagging this video for misinformation. So uh, I'm not sure what that would be about. Maybe uh, a certain virus (laughs) that could be, which I don't really plan to get into details on. But uh, I guess it was in one of my tags or something. And so they've decided... They're going to preemptively warn all of you. Well, uh, welcome to, I guess, a a very dangerous podcast with views that you're not supposed to hear. According to YouTube, uh, we'll get through it though. We will survive and uh, we're in this together, right? We, we heard that for years and uh, I still believe it. I still believe that we're in this, uh, together. So, um, anyway, this is a little bit of an informal podcast. I did not announce this. I, uh, was just thinking about the fact that I only did one podcast so far this week. And there's a reason for that. I've been pretty busy with a bunch of things, uh, some, some medical things. And then, um, uh, and, and don't worry, I'm okay. I'm everyone, everyone's okay. There, there's no uh, problems uh, that, that are life threatening or anything like that. But, um, but I spent some time this week uh, on the road and in doctor's offices. And, um, and the time I did have to be at home, I wanted to spend really thinking about, uh, some speeches that I'm going to be giving. And one of them, I, I mean, you could say I got carried away, but I've been, I think it's important. I've been researching, uh, classical liberalism and trying to understand it better and, uh, brushing up on, uh, this week I was reading, um, some, uh, old philosophers like John Locke and enlightenment philosophers, really, uh, Thomas Hobbes, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and under trying to understand what changes took place, what transitioned us from a more medieval society a a more Christian civilization really to the society that we exist in today. And, uh, and this is of course, something I had opinions on before last week, but I think that I'm gaining a, a better grasp of, uh, of how secularization took place and what its implications are and how that's affected us deeply, very deeply in ways that uh, are, are surprising. So I'm, I'm writing right now a speech to give at the Jesus and politics conference, which I'll have more information for you on uh, not, not too long. I've not really said much about it because uh, the retreats or the, the men's conference, I should say is right around the corner. It's actually next week. And so I'm going to be giving a speech there as well, but uh, this is literally your last chance <laughs> like if you want to come to the men's conference October 21st through the 24th in speculator New York uh, like later today I am sending in the the rooming lists and uh, letting them know how many people were coming and all of that we're arranging the schedule so y- you have to do it like now um, you can email me uh, probably the best way to, to contact me would be info at truthscript.com it'll it'll make its way to me if you have any questions, but, but this is the last chance. So anyway, um, I did let people know that I'm going to take questions today, any questions you have. Uh, so, uh, but let me just finish up real quick, the classical liberal thing. So I've been looking into this and, and, you know, basically this kind of notion, I, I suppose that we ought to have neutral societies that protect someone's right to choose, because that is the primary, I would say the individual is the primary building block of society, not really the family, the individual. And the power of the individual to choose and give consent is what gives any validity to human associations, including civil government. And and so that that idea, I think, has made its way very, very deep. And it is ideological and it does lead to some of the same things that we saw actually in Soviet countries. It, through a different route. Uh, it's not entirely the same. I'm not saying they're exactly parallel, but they both come from this root of enlightenment rationalism. And they do lead to, uh, ironically, this is the weird part, right? Uh, valuing individual freedom actually leads to bigger government. And I have to define that carefully. It's, it's not individual freedom in the sense that um, individuals are endowed with certain rights. I, I do think that is the case and that was um, part of the the pre-existing understanding that Christians had uh, before the Enlightenment, that there were certain things that were within the jurisdiction of individuals, As but, but they were attached to responsibilities, as they had responsibilities before God to do the good. And, um, and of course, uh, now though, that has been twisted to take away the element of responsibility, and it's really just individuals can do anything. They can pursue any vice. And as long as it's on a personal level, then it's perfectly fine. And, and I uncovered today, I was looking at a number of people. If I, if I told you their names, you would recognize them. I don't want to give away the speech, but uh, big conservative names and, and some evangelical names that said things that frankly, if you, if you listen to them, they're shocking that they would say them, but they come to to, to conclusions about allowing certain moral evils and maybe even defending them and their free exercise of them at least because uh, they value this neutral public square. And so um, has that been successful? That's the that's the question. I don't even think consent can can save kids from groomers at this point. I mean, I, I think it's been a failed project uh, for the most part. So I'll take a few questions before I get into really, uh, I, I have two or three topics depending on how much time we have that we can talk about today uh, regarding uh, the evangelical free church, regarding the Southern Baptist Convention. and then I was gonna show you, if you haven't seen already, uh, there's a little video that Apple just put out there that I think is, is funny in a way it's sad it's scary in a way too but it, it's uh it, it's interesting so let me take some questions though um we have uh scott scott crawford uh saying can you speak to why the g3 guys are still going after Stephen wolf uh and matthew fletcher what's g3 okay <laughs> so i have two questions uh so G- yeah g3 is a ministry it's an organization uh designed or with a mission of, of assisting local churches and, and hopefully i'm not getting anything wrong in that i'm being general enough hopefully to encapsulate all of the things that they do and they would claim to be reformed um i think they're they're baptist uh if i'm not mistaken i not saying they don't have presbyterians ever speak there or anglicans i don't think they do though i think it is primarily baptist but uh be that as it may Uh, I'll answer Scott's question sort of, um, I think there's going to be more conversations about this next week for everyone who's listening. Uh, this, there has been attempts made through back channels to, um, rectify, at least get conversations going to maybe solve this issue. And, and, uh, all I can say at this point is that so far, I don't think any of these attempts have been successful and we're going on now a few months, really. And because of that, I think that some things are going to be. Um, I, I, I think there's implications to that. I, I, I think that when you have a strained relationship, think about it on a personal level. Let's let's say you have a strained relationship and someone who you would consider to be a friend, uh, and, and and perhaps they're a Christian as well. Like you, you consider them a brother or sister in Christ, but they they keep misrepresenting you, or they keep saying things that you know aren't true or malicious or you know whatever the case may be. and 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 they and they have a public platform they're broadcasting this publicly let's say and and they're saying this about you and you try to come to them uh as a friend and then their reaction is that they they don't want to treat you though in that way And, and the relationship you thought you had isn't really the relationship that they think that you have with them and And I think that that's, uh, everyone has situations like that in their lives. I view this in a similar fashion, right? If you can kind of get the, all all the static out of the way and, you know, and on accounts that that say things and, uh, you know, that are sometimes a little off the wall or um, just, uh, I don't know, some of the more ridiculous and silly arguments, because so many of them have been silly in this whole. Uh, I guess I I would frame it as a a G3 versed proto, it's not even Christian nationalists, proto-Christian nationalists. It includes people that don't even take the label. I I would say that um, if you try to take those things away at the end of the day, what you seem to have is a hesitation. And that's a mild term, probably more likely would be an unwillingness to really approach this uh, whole disagreement on an equal footing, on, on a footing where you're both viewing the other party as brothers and sisters in Christ, where uh, it, with, with the intention of working out differences, or at least clarifying disagreements. Uh, and and since these things have been made public, letting the public know where these disagreements are. So so iron can sharpens iron. That, that has failed, in my opinion. And I think the time is very short. Uh, the G3 conference is what, the end of next week? I think time is very short. Um, because you know, if if they do have, which I'm assuming they're going to, they have a pre-conference that's, uh, I guess, going to be addressing some of these things. If they do say some of the things that um, many are, are thinking they're going to say, I think that the damage at that point is just permanent. So um, if any of you, I mean, last-ditch efforts, if any of you know anyone that works for for G three and uh, and I'm talking about specifically people like Josh Bice, Scott O'Neill, people I've reached out to, uh, Virgil Walker. Um, uh, I, I would say Owen Strand too. I mean, he he speaks for them, and and he's definitely been part of this. I, I would any of those guys, you know, if you're close to any of them, I would just plead with them at this point to uh, to try to, I guess, offer an olive branch of some kind to at least let the other side know that there is a, a humility there that wants to understand what the objections and misunderstandings are. And and that's really all I have to say about that for now. I know that's a whole minefield to get into, um, but, you know, some some other questions. Uh, Let's see here. Someone asked me if I've listened to Bill Roach's talk on Christian nationalism. I didn't know it was out. Bill actually had privately uh, texted me and said he would send it to me. So this is the first time hearing, I did not know that, um, he hasn't texted me. So I, I, now I know, um, I, I am looking forward to hopefully listening to that at some point. Um, I, I, I did see, I think this was maybe what a month or two ago, Bill had, uh, put out something and and most of you probably don't know who this is. He he has been on the podcast before though. And, and, you know, as far as I know, we're friends, (laughs) I think we're friends, but Bill, uh, Bill and I have known each other for a few years now. He was a professor at Southeastern in philosophy, uh, an adjunct professor at one time. And so, and because I went to Southeastern, we had a commonality there and we were both opposed to the social justice uh, stuff that was happening there. And um, anyway, uh, Bill had posted something. If I, if memory serves me correctly, this was maybe two months ago on uh I think uh, saying that there was a Hegelian element to Christian nationalism, which you know, it, it it's postmodern. it's Hegelian. There's all these things that are being kind of thrown out there. And um, I guess I have a natural skepticism a little bit when someone starts throwing those terms out there and and they're not easily explained. And so I asked him to explain that. Like I, I am open. I want to understand what you're saying.. Uh, I mean, some books I've been reading have been showing that or, or talking about how classical liberalism is actually Hegelian or there's a Hegelian element to it. Uh, and, and of course, Marxism, Marx was certainly influenced by Hegel. But, you know, I don't know. Hegelianism is, is uh, Hegelian philosophy is also broad. It's not like there's one thing. I mean, most of the time, I think when people say that they're talking about the, uh, you know, thesis, antithesis synthesis and the, the the dialectic and stuff. But, but I didn't know exactly what he meant. So I asked him about it and, and he said, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to be releasing this. And when I release it, I'll let you know. So that's the last I've heard about it. And I do look forward to it. But, uh, <laughs> so people are saying that Hegel's based. Okay. You know, some of Hegel, I was, I actually read a book on Hegel not long ago because I wanted to understand Hegel better. I mean, I, I took philosophy, so I, I, I had to, do understand him a little bit, but I I read a book uh, on him and, um, the book was actually making the argument in one section that some of the accusations Hegel gets for inspiring authoritarian regimes and so forth is actually not a correct reading of Hegel. And so, uh, so, so maybe we'll wade into that at some point. Um, it's an, it's an interesting field, but, uh, it's easy to get lost in the weeds, I suppose. Um, let's see other questions here. Uh, yeah. Craig Chambers, uh, who has been on the podcast, says good afternoon, brother, saw the EFCA title uh, joining in. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to briefly talk about it. It's not going to be very long. I'm going to briefly talk about the the um, Evangelical Free Church. Um, all right. Well, I think that's it for the, the questions. Oh, wait, there's one more. What is this? OK, John, what's the nice profile pic, by the way? Uh, Das uh, Vandever, John, what's the the balance between honoring the landmarks, i.e. authority figures and institutions, but also recognizing when they failed, i.e. Jenna Ellis's continual appeal to the Constitution? Um, Yeah, that's a big question. I I guess I would say that landmarks, I'm not, I'm assuming you just mean kind of like hierarchy. So authority structures that were once in place, that we once trusted, that once had some authority, and uh, and and some of them still do, but we recognize that they've failed us, and that we don't trust them anymore. I think I don't know if there a balance is even the word. I mean, it's it's again. I like to break things down to a smaller level uh, to to make them more understandable. So I think that. Let let, let's put it in this context. Let's say you attend a church and there's someone, let's say there's a pastor there. We'll make it an authority figure who really does have legitimate authority over life. Jenna Ellis has no authority over my life, but let's say it's someone who actually does. And they've been preaching, you know, fairly solid. At least you respect them, let's say, you know, little disagreements, but for the most part, you know, you're on you're in agreement and you feel comfortable submitting to them. And then, you know, one day they start going off the deep end. They start saying things that you know aren't true. Uh, they become belligerent when you try to confront them about it or, or even ask questions about it. And and then there's a pattern of that happening. And um, I think at that point, there's a natural thing that takes place. You lose respect. And once you lose respect for, for someone, it's uh, it takes time to get that back, right? It takes repentance. It takes a course correction that you can clearly see that this person is not off the deep end anymore. And so um, I I have a hard time writing people off forever. <laughs> I don't think we should ever really do that. But I do, I'll put it this way. I, I never really listened to Jenna Ellis's. I think she has a podcast. I never listened to that anyway. But if I did, and I, I did know who she was, at least I have for a few years, um, right now I don't think I would be listening to it if I had been. And it's just because it's, it's, it's not that... You can't disagree with someone and still value their opinion. I'm not saying that, but it's, it's more whatever basis for respect that had been there is kind of eroded at this point because of her online interactions. Some of you might not even know what I'm speaking of. I'm assuming the person who asked the question does, but uh, she's been acting in ways that are just uh, hard to make sense of. I'll put it that way. Wild accusations against uh, people even and friends of mine, uh, to be quite honest. And, um, I've, uh, I think I engaged with her once where I, she, she was, um, taking aim at the idea of blasphemy laws, which by the way, we already have. I mean, if you, that, that's really in a way what a hate crime is, it's why you can't say certain words or there's certain symbols that if you desecrate them, there's a stiffer penalty. We have blasphemy laws. Um, we have protected classes that uh, shall not be, uh, disrespect it in any way. And they have the legal force to prevent you from saying something that could be construed as disrespectful. Right. So, so this is just the way it is. And, um, I, I think that's probably an inescapable feature of any civil society. There's going to be a, a God uh, of that society or something they worship that, uh, provides the rationale for the the society to function. And once you attack that underlying rationale, you're attacking the basis for society itself and it's destabilizing and uh, it it promotes disrespect of the laws and that kind of thing. And so blasphemy laws were just part and parcel to the founding of the United States. They they were just included in everywhere. I mean, it was just, it was ubiquitous. Um, The founders of this country, and I'm speaking of those who framed the constitution, I mean, they, they didn't really see a conflict existing between the local and state blue laws, blasphemy laws that they lived under uh, Sabbath breaking laws and the freedom of conscience that uh, many of them held to and the bill of rights and those kinds of things. They didn't see a conflict there, but today we do. And and part of, part of the reason I think is the classical liberalism I I talked about at the beginning of this, it is just made uh, it, it is marched more progressively in an egalitarian direction. So, uh, you know, with that said, uh, I had, I I think Jenna was going after, maybe it was Steven or someone for, I think it was CJ angle, actually, she was really viciously going after him and he wants to replace, he he wants to take, I think it was have a civil war and replace the constitution and all these things, which, um, I don't think is true, but I just posted or retweeted it and put a picture of George Washington. And then George Washington's um, there was actually twice in uh, uh, 1775 and 1776, George Washington ordered his army uh, and there was punishments involved if they did not heed this, this order to um, not blaspheme and to also attend church services. And so I just asked whether or not, you know, George Washington was a tyrant because she was calling, I guess it was CJ angle, a tyrant. So, I mean, I, I'm trying to ask questions. I'm, tr- you know, that that's the only way I, I have of dealing with this. But, but I think that there's enough out there at this point to say, all right, let's find better leaders. If if we're going to listen to commentary and if we're going to uh, follow it and put someone out there in the public sphere to represent us, then it's probably not going to be someone like that. We we want someone who's going to be uh, accurate and faithful uh, to what they're analyzing and uh and has the correct i guess system of uh values and understanding to be able to evaluate those things so uh, that's a long-winded answer i suppose i could have probably said that in a shorter way but hopefully that helps uh i i realize that means we have a a vacuum right now and i don't know what to say about that other than we need to pray we need to just pray there's so many I, i tweeted out this morning there are so many uh just leadership courses and leadership programs and degrees in leadership in so few leaders and it's a very sad thing to me okay so I think that's it for questions for now let's get into some stuff how's that let's get into some stuff um where should we start I I guess we'll start with efCA maybe uh, since um, oh and by the way if I didn't mention it overcomingevilconference.com, if you're a last minute you know you want to sign up last minute. Um, EFCA and SocialJustice.wordpress.com. EFCA and SocialJustice.wordpress.com is the website. This is uh, a, an article, and it's it's very long. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but uh, I was tipped off to this because uh, uh, one of the pastors, actually, who who writes for truth script is in the EFCA, or was, I should say, was in the EFCA, uh, and. Um, he sent this to me and he, he, just like we had seen pastor Clewer recently being censored by the evangelical free church for his anti-social justice views. Now we see pastor David Whitney also being censored. So his, uh, basically his ordination is being called into question is my wow. understanding of how this works. And it's on a different stand. It, it's on a, it's, it's because not, not social justice, but because of COVID stuff which is probably why you saw a warning on this video, because that dreaded word is going to be in it. But he starts it off, um, the story sequentially of what happened to him by saying, back in November of 2020, uh, my cluster in the EFCA East met by Zoom. I assume that means the cluster is probably a group of pastors in that region. He said, during the session, each pastor was asked how his church was doing during the pandemic. I replied that we had not shut down in-person worship during this time, and he gave his uh, reasons for that. My statements, he said, seems to upset and anger several pastors in our cluster. I didn't know it at the time, but three pastors began investigating my sermons and demanding a meeting just before Christmas. The timing did not work for me, so we ultimately met on Zoom. Prior to the meeting, I asked uh, one of the pastors, Guy Kneebone, for a list of questions they would be asking so he could prepare. He never got a list. Um, Pastor Kneebone, uh, I'm hoping I'm saying the names right, uh, Keynes and Rydell. R- Rydell we've actually we have talked about him. He is very woke <laughs> from the clips that we've seen. He interrogated me for two and a half hours, and they were very aggressive in their attacks on many things, which I said in the sermon they had listened to. Pastor uh, Keynes said that he would be horrified if anyone in his congregation ever listened to any of my sermons. Pastor Kneebone spoke of how they were spending a great deal of time and effort studying and learning from critical race theory. He and others started, and they believe I was a Christian nationalist, and that such a stance was unacceptable in the EFCA. Uh, I'll just take a, a quick break here. One thing you you have to understand, and I I need to emphasize this point more and more, is that that term Christian nationalism that is being condemned so strongly by uh, members of evangelical uh, organizations is yes it's it's being appropriated by certain people for uh, Protestant reformed political thinking paleoconservative ends the theonomic ends it depends on the person who's appropriating it but that 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 is a catch-all term that People in the world just throw at any Christian who thinks that they should be vocal about their faith in public. I mean, that that pretty much makes you a Christian nationalist in the minds of uh, of those people. So I think it's just you know, and, and here you you see it being parroted by, unfortunately, evangelical leaders. Needless to say, I was astonished beyond measure. I could not even conceive a fellow EFC pastor's doing this to another EFC pastor. So he so he was. And I think this. a lot of pastors are like this, just kind of hit upside the head. And, and this is a pastor who my understanding has been an EFCA pastor for something like 40 years. So this is someone who's been there for decades and they and some of these guys are, are young, <laughs> younger than him, I'm sure. And, uh, which, which is, you know, it's not like they don't have legitimacy because they're young, but you would think that there would be a respect and a seniority that they wouldn't be aggressively going after someone like this uh, in the first meeting. Fast forward to September 2022, John Nesbitt of the EFCA East contacted me regarding the necessity of meeting with him and Apollo Freer uh, or or, uh, Freire. I'm not sure how you say his name regarding my credentialing in advance uh, of the uh, BOMS meeting a few days later. He apologized for so short a notice for the meeting, admitted that he had put off this meeting, which he knew needed to be done. I cleared my schedule to be able to. Uh, meet the time crunch that they were under, I asked him for a list of questions that I would be asked in this meeting. He gave me the generalities. So um, he goes on and he said, Apollo did not provide any questions, though in the meeting he read from a list of 11 questions he had regarding Christian nationalism. It It would have met the biblical standards of justice to have given me these 11 questions in advance as he clearly had a list he was reading from. Uh, In this Zoom meeting on September 13th, John said that the district office had received complaints about Cornerstone, that's the church he pastors, uh, regarding its adherence to the church constitution. I asked for the names of those who had made the complaints. Both John and Paulo refused to give those names, claiming it was not right to give me those names. And John was uncertain if it was two or three people and would not clarify if it was men or women and stated he did not know if they were or were not members of Cornerstone. This refusal does not meet the biblical standards of justice. So, uh, procedural procedurally, this this whole thing is a mess. And th- this is a common story that I get from many pastors and just members and leaders in various denominations and Christian organizations that this happens quite frequently, that the, the even the rules sometimes agreed upon in their constitution are not followed. Uh, now, um, he says that th- the accusations which John received, he said were in the Constitution. I suppose that means the constitution of the uh, EFCA, if I'm not mistaken. The specifics of those allegations I only know from the issues John raised regarding having one elder at this point in time and not holding a congregational meeting in 2021. There are other accusations. I have not been made aware of them. So he's saying, you know, as far as he knows, I, I suppose there's only one accusation. Uh, or two, I suppose. Okay. So as to the second accusation, our constitution does not require that there be multiple elders. It provides a process by which elders can be sought and nominated. Let's see here. Uh, okay. Okay. Paulo launched into his questions about Christian nationalism, asked if he could give me a definition of the term. Okay. So he, he goes into the specifics of this. Um, Paulo said, my answers indicated I was a Christian national. So they have this this list of, you know, what makes you a Christian national probably like a Paul Miller thing or something. And and then they, they apply that and say, well, this makes you a Christian nationalist. Uh, and, and, and that's a bad thing. <laughs> that's a boogeyman. You, you know, you're, you're a bad guy. And and this all started, uh, from the looks of things with his refusal to shut down the church during COVID. So that put him on the, uh, the list that put him on the, the on notice. Uh, John sent a list of documents he required to further answer the accusations against me. Let's see. Um, again, he's not revealing some of the accusers. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead here because this is, this is very long. If you want to see more of it, you can go to EFCA and socialjustice.wordpress.com uh, word, if you're in the EFCA. And I would recommend if you're in the EFCA, read this whole thing. Uh, at least if if you are somewhat involved in the EFC, I think that's important. Um, anyways, this this gets, I guess uh, this gets brought up. I'm trying to find the exact section here. He, he He has thorough detail, which is good. You need thorough detail in situations like this because and recording things probably is is also a plus in situations like this. Um, but this has gone to the national board. So this is, this is past the EFCA East and now, um, the national board and, um, and and he, the claim here, this is very similar to the SBC's problem. The claim here is that in, in bringing this to the national board, Uh, This is inverting the structure to form something more akin to the Episcopal denomination and not a congregational polity. So you have uh, now a a national board getting involved in this more local matter, but they are, uh, and I think the EFCA is similar to the SBC in that they believe in the autonomy of the local church. So you have the national board now um, essentially putting on notice a pastor and uh, threatening to remove his ordination because of this issue that started with not shutting his church down during COVID. And so he responds, he, he is taking a stand. He says, There is only one issue of not fulfilling our church's constitution. Uh, so is the church's constitution. I was wrong, not the constitution of the EFCA, but the church's constitution. And that is that we were not able to hold a congregational meeting in 2021 due to the inability to obtain a quorum during the pandemic. This is a time when the large number of churches had closed themselves to any and all uh, in-person worship. The broad brush smear that we are not in compliance is not accurate. So the accusation is that they violated their own constitution by, um, I suppose, shutting down. And and the interesting thing about all of this is that uh, this is a local church constitution and you have a national board now trying to impose, but trying to apply the rules of the local fellowship and, and police them. Now, uh, he says to suspend or otherwise remove my ordination would be a further to further violate the biblical standards of justice. So so he is bringing it back to the Bible uh, at every turn in this whole thing. Um, The the charges again here uh, is what Greg Strand sent as the charges. You willingly and knowingly failed to comply by providing the necessary information for the EFCA East District to determine whether the leadership of the Cornerstone EFC is following the church constitution and bylaws as accused. It's a little bit technical there, but, um, that's the gist of it. So, uh, I'm not going to spend more time on it, but if people have questions about that, I would just suggest going to uh, the website. Let's see if anyone's weighing in on this, who knows more. Uh, Craig Chambers says the real issue is the EFCA has bent left and conservative pastors are being dealt with falsely. And, and and that's what I, and so, and Treadle says, sounds like Ryan Turnipseed again, who's in the EFCA, I'm sorry, the not the EFCA, uh, in the um, Missouri Synod, uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So so, so this is something that's happening cross-denominationally. The guns are only pointed in one direction, right? You have actual heretics, actual false teachers, actual problems, but they're not being addressed. Instead, the guns are pointed at the more conservative members, conservative pastors, conservative churches. And, and this, of course, reflects the opinions of those who are in control in these denominations. They are um, managerial elites who have an allegiance to the liberal order, not to the oaths that they've taken or, or did I, I'm going to just say it, or to Jesus Christ or to primarily or to uh, the members of their uh, churches and the pastors that they um, assist and, and so forth. So this is the problem that's going on and and there aren't easy solutions for it because you need men of character to be able to fill those roles. And the question is, do those men of character exist? And if they do, and I believe they do, I I, I have to sit to think that there are men of character out there. There may be less of them, but I think they are out there, but are they then disqualified at early stages from climbing those ladders to get into those positions? Um, that's another problem and a major one. So, what what's the solution to that? Uh, it's going to be depend on where you are, but uh, on a macro level, I mean, there isn't much of a solution, I, I think, for churches that have just gone this direction. I mean, I think it, it, the go- the goose is cooked, so to speak. Uh, I mean, you you could you could try what they're doing in the SBC, which is you know let's let's rally every year, let's try to get a bigger group to come out, let's outvote, but, but it hasn't been very successful so far, and And I I don't have any faith that it will be, to be quite honest with you. Um, There's small successes you could point to perhaps, but they're not going to be enough to turn the whole denomination around, which is what you need. All right, well, let's talk about the SBC here. Um, (laughs) On that depressing note, right? You could could always start new organizations, right? But there's no structure that's going to foolproof prevent this kind of corruption from happening uh char- men of character you need virtue you need virtue um so so train virtuous men lead virtue uh follow the lead of virtuous men uh there's not a whole lot of them all right so bart barber the president of the southern baptist convention uh this is in the biblical recorder um he has appointed uh, members to a cooperation group Here's the story. Addressing things we have never done before in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention will permeate discussions of those who will present a report next June that could reassert or redefine what constitutes a church to be in friendly cooperation with the SBC. These declarations that churches are not in friendly cooperation and these appeals in response to those declarations represent a change in the fundamental processes by which we cooperate with with one another, he said, Bart Barber. The 20-member cooperation group came about from a motion in 2023. Uh, that in New Orleans that place the group's formation in Bart Barber's hands, Jared Wellam, pastor of Tate Springs Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas, will serve as the chair. Other members include, and it goes through a list. And I recognize some of these names, others I don't. Um, of course, Jonathan Lehman is there. You have uh, Juan Sanchez there. Who, who? The funny thing is that Jonathan Lehman and Juan Sanchez are like the conservatives in this group, I, I'm pretty sure, which which, that, if that's true, that, would, that, that definitely gives you an indication that, as to uh, how... Probably slanted left. This group is uh, Trevin Wax, uh, Gospel Coalition guys in this group. Um, Richard Land. That's interesting. Richard Land is in this group. Um, Donna Gaines. Okay, the wife of Steve Gaines, uh, who who he's he's kind of woke. Yeah, I'll, I'm willing to say that. Um, so so this is the group that that he's appointed. It's, it's people that Bart Barber thinks are are good for this particular role. And if you remember, the whole issue was. Uh, it, it was sparked by the law amendment, the Mike law amendment to basically say that churches that are not in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, you know, essentially, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not showing you guys the article. Hold on. Here's the article. There you go. Biblical recorder um, that, that if a church has a woman pastor or women pastors, they are not in friendly cooperation because that uh, contradicts Baptist faith and message. And there, there have already been, there's a precedent for this. They've already specifically identified uh, abuse and racism as two things that uh, churches can be kicked out of the denomination for. And that's already taken place or disfellowshipped with. And so now let's just add something that should be obvious to Southern Baptists. Well, now there's a problem, right? And you had a bunch of the uh, former presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention going to the mics at the, the annual meeting and saying that we need to really study this issue of cooperation and what constitutes cooperation? And so what this does effectively, I said this at the time, was that J.D. Greer is going to get you to the same position I think Rick Warren gets you to in in so many steps. It won't be the one step that Rick Warren wanted to take. Rick Warren rushed it. Rick Warren uh, thought the SBC was probably more progressive than it actually is, and he, he rushed it. But J.D. Greer understands it better. And what he proposed, and, and others along with him, uh, was that there should be a study committee formed to to look at these things to, to, and, and what can effectively happen is that study committee can actually come up with something that will make the law amendment obsolete. So even if, if a law amendment's passed and it's confirmed at the next annual meeting um, this, this other thing that's going on, this study group can make suggestions to the Southern Baptist at the next meeting and change the way that cooperation is viewed. So that potentially even having female pastors doesn't put you at odds with the convention. That's how this kind of thing can work. So um, I want to show you, uh, let's see who, well, let me, let me play this video for you. This, this is one of the members of this cooperation group.
1: Because I need to talk to something before I get out of the way. Now we're going to, we're going to hear a message in a bit from Pastor Gary Smith, and I am so excited, as I know you are, my pastor and mentor, who was a pastor here for 25 years, bringing God's word. I've already heard it once, and I'm gonna have to hear it again, because there's still work God's doing in me through it. It's gonna be an incredible message as God speaks to you as we go through Exodus. But I wanna tell you something that happened this past week. Uh, Pastor Gary and his wife, Sandy, and I were in New Orleans for the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting with a a team of people from the church, and there were just a couple things that happened that, uh, that concerned me. And I wanted to talk to you about so that you're aware of it. You're likely hearing some of this, those of you who are more tuned to the news. uh, And the number one thing you're going to hear about uh, that concerns me uh, is the uh, disfellowshipping, the removal of Saddleback Church in California from the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, because they have female pastors. I want to just say publicly that I am in disagreement with that decision. I voted against that decision. Uh, we we agree that this is not in the heart and tenor of the Southern Baptist Convention. You may not know much about the Southern Baptist Convention, but it's an incredible uh, group of churches, over 47,000 churches that come together with one common mission, to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to every place in this world, right here in this city, this country, and to the ends of the earth, planting churches, sending missionaries, doing gospel work. And the vast majority of the convention is thousands and thousands, literally millions of believers who love Jesus and want the vision of the gospel of Jesus Christ extended to the ends of the earth to happen. But there's also confusion. And I think that uh, part of the beauty of the convention has been something called autonomy. That the churches don't exist for the convention, the convention exists for the churches. And the uh, autonomy, being independent of the way that we operate, means that there can be a lot of diversity of opinion on minor issues, and we collaborate together and agree upon the major issues. The chief issue being our agreement to come under the word of God, the Bible as truth.
0: Okay, let, let me play for you. This is one uh, more clip. And, and the person you hear speaking there is the lead pastor at Fielder Church in Arlington, Texas, Jason Paredes, Jason Paredes. And, and here's another uh, shorter uh, clip.
1: Uh, amendment that was voted upon to the bylaws of the Constitution that says that any church that has female pastors of any kind would be considered no longer in felony cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, which means after a while it takes two years sequentially for that to be voted on. And if it's ratified, then churches that have female pastors would be removed from the Southern Baptist Convention, disfellowshipped. Fielder church falls into that category. We unwaveringly, unequivocally, gratefully have female pastors in this church.
0: Okay. Well, and they're, they're clapping. There's an ovation for uh, Pastor um uh, when he says that they have female pastors in the church. And so um, this is at least one member on this reconciliation committee. So it, it does raise a question about, this is someone who who is in clear violation of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention's own state of beliefs at this point, and I would say belligerently so. And yet, uh, this is someone that needs to be given a seat at the table to come up with a solution for uh, how Southern Baptists should interact with each other in a cooperative manner. Uh, And specifically, it's going to be on this question of female pastors. So we know exactly what he thinks. Now, he's not the only person on this committee. You know, I know someone like a Jonathan Lehman and Juan Sanchez, which I said, they're probably the more conservatives, which is funny to me because, uh, I was critiquing them for, um, at least Jonathan Lehman. I, I, Juan Sanchez, I, I, I know has put some woke stuff out there. He's a gospel coalition guy. I'm not sure if I've talked about him on the podcast, but th- you know, they were the kind of guys that we were, uh, opposing at least in our arguments back in 2020. And, and, you know, I guess 2018 through 2021, 2022, especially, and and now they're they on this issue. They're the conservatives. I'm, I'm sure of it. I'm sure they're, they're, the, they're going to be the more conservative ones on in a meeting like that. And uh, it doesn't give me a lot of confidence. I'll put it that way. Um, hopefully they'll hold the line on this. But there's going to be some kind of a muddled middle solution, probably, or some I don't know, some kind of a compromise. That's my guess that they're gonna to try to reach. And it's going to be, uh, like I said, JD Greer is gonna get you there in multiple steps. Whereas Rick Warren was gonna take one. JD Greer can can get you there in 10 years, you know, or maybe even five years. And Rick Warren, it would only have taken a year or two. That's that's just my opinion on it. So um, we've already been going about 45 minutes almost. Uh, I don't think I'll show you the, the Apple video um, unless people really, really want it. I'm gonna go, just uh, go to the questions and see Um, what people are saying. And and if you have any questions, this is the time to get them in and I'll weigh in on whatever uh, you bring up. Um, Scott Crawford said the vote wasn't close. Yeah, you're right about that. And that's one of the things people bring up to say, Hey, look, SBC is not going to endorse women pastors. Look, uh, most of the people voted against or, or they, for the law amendment, Right. And, um, And to that point, I say, you know, I think that would be, I think you're right as far as the sentiments on the floor, but the stage does control a lot. And we know over time, people change their opinions. At this point in the SBC, you know, the critical race theory fights, not even a fight. You know why? Because it's just assumed. And and last year you saw that they had a resolution on, I believe it was immigration that assumed some, I would say, critical race theory adjacent ideas. And there wasn't even hardly a resistance against it. It wasn't even on the agenda because there's bigger fish to fry now that we, we've moved past that conversation. And so now we're in this uh, new conversation about women pastors, and that's how things work. Um, <laughs> T. James Boone says, please don't show the Apple video. It's way too cringe. Yeah, it is pretty cringe. It's funny, though. That's why I think it's funny, but it is cringy. Yes, you're right. Uh Any other comments, questions? Let's see. Anita Smith says, The problem is they never give up until they wear down the people and they get their way. That's exactly the point I'm making. The next issue will be homosexual marriage members, pastors. And it may be. Other denominations are certainly splitting over that. Um, So... All right. Well, um, I appreciate everyone who joined the stream. Again, if you are planning on coming to the conference, you better sign up like now. <laughs> OvercomingEvilConference.com. It starts next week. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. We've got some great speakers, great lineup, great activities planned. Um, and uh, I, I should be able to get you some podcasts next week. In fact, uh, like I said, we I, I likely will be dealing more with some of this G3 stuff. And, and you can pray for me by the way on that, because I want to do it in a, mo- a gracious way, but also a firm way and, uh, a, a way that does not compromise on the things that are true. And, um, yeah, so I guess that's all I have to say about that. So that it's not the only thing we're going to be talking about next week, but we will have to address it, I think. And, uh, and, and it's not fun. It's not something I want to do, uh, I'll be honest with you, because my hope this whole entire time has been to try to work something out on that front. So anyway, uh, God bless. Um, <laughs> Scott says, come to G3 with me, John. Yeah, well, I, I I literally that that weekend's the men's conference, Scott. I can't. I can't. I'm not. I, hopefully they would let me in. I would I would think. I, I heard that 80 Robles got disinvited from G3. I don't know if that's true or not. I'll have to ask AD, but but I heard, I saw some people saying that AD had said that he was disinvited from G3. So I don't know. But anyway, I uh, hope everyone is uh, doing well out there. God bless and more come and Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the Lord's Day. Bye now. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card.